A big shout out to the moms in the room. If you came a little bit late today, please go back and watch online. We have a beautiful Mother's Day video that started our series together. Uh, I had someone this past week say, Dave, I'd love to have some pictures of, of your family. We don't know what your wife looks like. We don't know what your kids look like. And I thought a picture is a great idea. But this isn't of my family. This is of me and my twin sisters. So my mom was a busy mom. She had three kids in 16 months. I was born in January of 81. My sister's May of 82. And she always introduces the three of us in a particular way, so much so that she must have practiced it. She'd say, Dave is my oldest. He's the athletic one. Chrissy, my blonde sister, is the social butterfly. And Wendy is my youngest. She's the nice one. And that always got me, because I thought, I'm pretty nice. But if you've met my sister Wendy, she walks on water or something. It's pretty impressive. But one of the joys of my mom is that she worked with us to find out what are we gifted at? What are our natural abilities? How has God wired us? And she found out really early on that my son loves sports. So much so my wife and I are trying to figure out how to make our budget work more effectively. And she said, maybe we can cancel cable. I said, not during playoff season, we can't. Go Oilers. My sister Chrissy to this day still is a social butterfly and loves going to parties and events and even runs multiple things herself. My sister Wendy has deep, rich friendships, and if you ever do meet her, she really is incredibly nice. And I hope that for you growing up that your mom worked with you and thought, what is my son, what is my daughter's natural gifts? What are her uh, and his spiritual gifts? What makes them different? If you have children of your own, or perhaps you're a spiritual mom to people in our church or beyond, that you have that privilege too, to help people discover how has God wired them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this series on spiritual gifts and this reminder that you have given us so much. Not only do we have the privilege of looking forward to an eternal salvation, we also have this wonderful gift of your Holy Spirit who is working in us that every person who believes in you is given at least one, normally multiple spiritual gifts. And as we dive deeper into this today, may your spirit be at work in us, helping us recognize, do any of these gifts resonate with us? Is this something that we have? and that your church would be made stronger because of the work you are doing in each and every one of us. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name, amen. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul wrote the, um, to the church in Corinth, and this is the big uh, passage of spiritual gifts throughout the scriptures, but there's also two other really large ones. We'll be looking at them in part today as well in Romans 12 and in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. But a little bit of a setup as to where we're at. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Last week we talked about how the spiritual gifts are there to unify the church, to build up the church that all of us work together. There might be a little bit of tension from time to time that if somebody has a different gift than you, sometimes we, we try to project that onto other people. But that's not the point. The point of a spiritual gift is to encourage it, to well it up in other people and how we're gifted in multiple, multiple ways. If you were to hop online and to Google spiritual gifts, all sorts of articles would come up. People would say there's seven spiritual gifts or there's 20 spiritual gifts or there's 12 spiritual gifts. 
We don't really know, and you'll see why that kind of comes to bear out later on in this message. What we do know is that we're taking the spiritual gifts that we have, um, are aware of, and we're putting them into three major categories. I'm incredibly grateful for uh, the articles that I read this past week, but there's three authors in particular who I've leaned on, John Thompson, Robert Clinton, and Peter Wagner. And here's what Robert Clinton says. Of, the, of all the major gifts, we're going to break them down into three categories. We're gonna look at word gifts. That clarifies the nature, the action, the purposes of God. Next week, we're gonna look at love gifts. These manifest the love of God in practical ways. And then the week um, shortly after, we'll be doing power gifts, and those demonstrate the power, the presence, and the reality of God. As I read out 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're not going to read the whole passage, but two specific paragraphs, you're going to hear these different gifts and recognize, oh, I could see how that falls in one category or another, picking up in chapter 12, verse 4. There are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each individual is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to that same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Jumping down to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Today we're looking at word gifts and the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians verse 28, the verse we just read says, of all the gifts, one is set apart from the others. The first gift, the one that is the most important, is the gift of apostle. And we're going to be looking at six different gifts today, but the apostle one is going to take a little bit more time to unpack because it's very unique than the other gifts. You see, unfortunately, over the last 2,000 years, there's been baggage that have come with some of these gifts. We look at power gifts and we think of tongues and we think of prophecy and we think of healing and people have treated those in different ways that have put other people down while lifting other people up. We have love gifts like hospitality and mercy and sometimes they're looked upon as kind of a lesser gift, but they're not. Then you have word gifts like apostle and they're deeply misunderstood. In a Baptist church, we might hear the word apostle and be like, whoa, where is pastor going with this one? Because that has some baggage attached to it. So here's the thing that we need to understand. Most of the confusion around apostle has to do with gift versus office. I'll say that again. Most of the confusion around apostle has to do with the confusion between gift and office. Those with the office of apostle, the original 12 disciples plus the apostle Paul, are the only people who have the office of apostle. The original 12 were with Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry. They witnessed his life, his death, his resurrection. The glorified body of Christ came back and visited the 12 of them and about 500 besides and was also shown to the apostle Paul, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. 
These 13 men held the office of apostle and laid the foundation of the church and the teaching that goes with it, having written the New Testament. With the close of the first century, the office of apostle is no longer. But the gift of apostle continues. So what does it mean? What is the gift of apostle? I'll have definitions for each of the six different gifts that we're looking at this morning. And the uh, gift of apostle means to have the God-given ability to create new ministries. These are spiritual entrepreneurs. They're church planters. They start new ministries. These are missionaries going to cross-cultural places. Apostles see the need for the good news of Jesus to be spread by starting new ministries in the city, new ministries in the church, new ministries abroad, so that the Uh, the, the good news of Jesus can be spread to people and places that have never heard it before or heard it in that way before. The reason this gift is so important, the reason the Apostle Paul says this is the first of the gifts, is without apostles taking the good news of Jesus to a new part of a city, to a new part of the world, to start a brand new ministry is because some people won't have the opportunity to hear This makes it incredibly important. Just a moment ago, David in the announcements talked about the generosity of our church, and I want to thank you for your incredibly generous giving. Not only did we raise $29,000 in just a couple weeks over the month of April, but we're also uh, over the expenses that we have here at the church as well. So thank you so much for your generosity. But it's not just that you gave. It's what that money is doing. And you think of over $20,000 going to um, nations just outside of Ukraine that are welcoming refugees, that are doing justice and mercy, that are helping them find new homes, and most importantly of all, taking these people who are uh, coming out of Ukraine not knowing what's next, not knowing where there's hope, not knowing where there's joy or uh, or light in life, and saying, here is the good news of Jesus. And here are the people who have given millions upon millions of dollars so that you can have a place to live and hear the good news of Jesus. It's also taking that $7,500 and giving um, five missionaries among the Amazon River the ability to go up and down the river in boats and to take the good news of Jesus where it has never been taken before. This is the gift of the apostle. Now you might think, okay, that's fair, but Dave, what does that look like in the local church? So here's an illustration. Imagine you're at work and you're hanging out with some of the coworkers over lunch. And there's you and there's five people sitting around and you're, you're chatting over a meal and you recognize, wow, a couple of these people are really hurting from a divorce that they're going through. And then you go home and you're talking to your neighbor over the fence and your neighbor says, oh man, this divorce that I'm going through is just awful. And then you watch Netflix or a TV show later on that night and you recognize, oh man, the main character is going through a divorce. And there's just this heaviness on your heart and you think, God, what can, what can we do? What can I do to be a blessing in my church community? And the more you think about it, the more you realize, man, I want to get involved and I want to do, uh, I want to care for those who've gone through divorce and I'm going to start divorce care at my church. And those people who are in my family, those people who uh, are at my workplace, those people in my neighborhood can come, they can hear the good news of Jesus in the midst of a terrible time. Or the opposite, and you can say, I really want to build into strong marriages. And you start a marriage mentorship program, and you're developing five other couples, and you're recognizing, well, when I look back at my life, I can see that whenever I start something new, God seems to bless it. I start a new small group, and people seem to come. I get involved in day camp, and and my particular ministry just seems to be overwhelmingly positive. And you might have the gift of apostleship. 
And part of this sermon series is not only helping us discover our spiritual gifts, but finding out how can we use that well. And so perhaps as we're going through six of the word gifts this week and a few of the gifts through love next week and a few of the power gifts the week following, you'll resonate and something will stand out to you. But this is also a chance to say, you know what, I want to take that test, the one that David talked about earlier, and that you can go to erbc.ca slash gifts, and you can take this test. It'll probably take you 20 minutes. And then when you find out what your spiritual gifts are, you can say, I want to plug in. I want to see how God can use me and my gifts here at the church to be a blessing to everybody around me. Perhaps you want to dive in even deeper, get to know a few people. Um, we're going to do a three-week course that's going to be taught by David, who gave announcements, Russ, who is praying, and Pastor Joel as well. And it's an opportunity to get new people, uh, meet new people, discover who your gifts are, and be a blessing to this church. I hope that this sermon series today and the weeks following really begin to open up what that looks like. So Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 says the most important gift is apostleship. Then he talks about prophecy. You'll have to wait a couple weeks to come back to that. But rounding out the top three is this gift of teacher. Now there's a couple spiritual gifts of which teacher is one that I think can be a little bit difficult to differentiate. How do I know it's a spiritual gift? And how do I know what's a learned ability? Well, the spiritual gift of teacher is explaining the Bible and clarifying God's truth. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down at Pentecost, one of the great large Jewish festivals. And so thousands of Jews have come to the temple in Jerusalem, and then about 120 of Jesus' followers, including the 12 disciples, are praying in an upper room. And it says that there was uh, wind, and there was blowing, and there was like tongues of fire, and all these people started speaking in different uh, languages. And so as the people come out of the temple of Jerusalem and they see these 120 people speaking in different languages, they say, what is going on here? And immediately, the apostle Peter starts to teach. And he says, Jews, fellow believers, you need to understand who Jesus is and what he has done. He came to this world. He lived a perfect and holy life. He died for your sins. We don't have to do the animal sacrifice anymore. He rose from the dead. He conquered the death. He conquered the grave. And he is alive. And this is what's impacting our lives. And this ministry was so impactful that people said, well, Peter, what are we supposed to do? And then with incredible clarity, he said four words, repent and be baptized. 3,000 members were added to their number that day. This is the impact that teaching has on those around us. The reason Paul says this is so incredibly important is because people need to know what we believe and how it impacts our life. When Jesus began his public ministry, he says these words in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came to preach. People with the spiritual gift of teaching are able to explain scriptures in a way that is easy to understand and apply it to your life. As a listener, you hear someone who is a gifted teacher and you walk away from a Sunday morning, you walk away from a small group or a seminar or a podcast you're listening to, and you think, that individual helped me understand the Bible better. That person has the gift of teaching. So what's the difference between the spiritual gift of teaching and the natural ability to teach? 
If someone is studying at university, they're gonna learn theory and principles of good teaching, as well take classes in their specific subject matter. They're gonna learn how to teach English or learn how to teach science or social or math or whatever it may be. When it comes to teaching an English class, that teacher's gonna stand up and it's relatively easy for them to teach the students they have in front of them. It's easy for them to teach how to write, how to engage with classic literature, how to pick out the major components of the story, but when asked to teach the Bible, if they don't have the spiritual gift of teaching, it might feel clunky and leave people a little bit confused. Those with the spiritual gift of teaching, whether they've had formal training or not, are able to pick up the Bible and to teach it in such a way that it makes it more clear, more easy to understand, and easily applicable to life. You walk away going, oh, now I understand what that passage is about. And I think sometimes we trick ourselves and, and we think, well, if a message is difficult or confusing, then that must be really a deep message. It's not. It's just difficult and confusing. People with the gift of teaching are able to take something that's difficult and confusing and make it easy to understand. Does this sound like you? Do you recognize that when you teach, people come up to you and say, oh, the way you teach, the way you speak, it makes it come alive. Um, my, thank you, good catch, Glenn. He has the spiritual gift of catching. It was amazing, really well done. Does this sound like you? That people come up to you and say, when you teach, it just makes the Bible come alive. I understand so much more what you're saying. It's such a blessing and encouragement to hear from you. It's also, to the best of my knowledge, the only spiritual gift that comes with a caution. In James chapter 3, verse 1, we read, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, brothers and sisters, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Use your gift of teaching well. Another gift is that of encouragement or exhortation. Um, we get to, uh, when we come to here, you start to see where the spiritual gifts are a little bit hard to, to nail down. The gift of encouragement can be defined as urging people by, to t action by applying biblical truths. And perhaps uh, the greatest example of this can be found in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Think about this for a moment. This man, Joseph, is so encouraging that the disciples are like, your name's not Joseph anymore. Your name is encouragement. And this man has played a huge impact behind the scenes that we might not even be fully aware of. The apostle Paul wasn't always an apostle Paul. He didn't exactly grow up in a Christian home, go to church every Sunday, go to seminary, and was a good little boy. Paul, before he became a follower of Jesus, hated Christians. He wasn't just this venom that he felt towards them. He actually would pursue Christians, throw them in jail, and even kill some of them. Then when we arrive in Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is going to Damascus to do this to more, to more people, to more Christians. And on the road to Damascus, God comes to him from the sky and says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? The Apostle Paul falls to the ground, and he is eventually taken into Damascus where he meets a Christian. And this Christian tells him who Jesus is. Over the next little while, Paul devotes himself entirely to understanding who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. His, he has this insatiable desire to learn more about Jesus. And eventually, he heads into communities and he starts confounding Jews with his incredible wisdom and knowledge and understanding of Scripture. But then he wants to come and 
hang out with other Christians. And the apostles are like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. We know what you've done. You're trying to trick us. You want to find out where we all live. You want to find out what we all do. And then you're going to imprison us or kill us. Enter Barnabas. And Barnabas goes on behalf of the apostle Paul. And he stands before the 12 apostles, those who are the leaders of the church. And he says, you don't understand who Paul is. He has been transformed by Jesus. On the road to Damascus, he met Jesus face to face. This man has a passion for teaching. This man is incredibly gifted by God. This man is probably going to change the world. And it's because of what Barnabas did in speaking with some of the Jewish leaders that we have the writings that we have from the Apostle Paul. He was able to go on missionary journeys. The apostles sponsored him and asked him to teach specific things. And we have most of the New Testament writings that are present. Do you have the gift of encouragement? Do you have that ability to walk up to somebody and say, hey, this is what I see God doing in your life where you can bless them and encourage them. And when you speak with them, they walk away feeling encouraged, feeling like, I didn't realize I had that gift and it was shining so brightly. Do you see people in the foyer and they're always greeting people and just a joy to be around and you can walk up to them and say, have you thought of joining our First Impressions team? We want people like you. You've been involved in some events that are taking place at the church and you see someone working in the kitchen and you think, would you like to lead a kitchen team? You are so good at organizing, so good at bringing people together. You serve with such joy. We'd love to have you part of our team. Maybe you're talking with somebody and you recognize that all they ever do is talk about prayer. And you think, have you talked with someone of our our staff members? We would love to have you part of our prayer team. When we read in Romans 12, verse 8, if your gift is encouraging, let him encourage. But there's a second part of this gift. It's the gift of exhortation, and I'll put the definition back on on the screen. We went through it pretty quick the first time. It's urging people to action by applying biblical truths. Do you ever find yourself, you're walking through the foyer, and you say, hey, how's it going? And the proper answer is good, but they don't say good. They stop you and say, oh, I'm so glad you asked, because life is really hard at home, and you don't realize how stressful it is at work, and my cat ran away, and things are just awful. Well, if it's me, I go, well, your cat running away, is that the good part of this story or the bad part of this story? But for people who have the gift of encouragement, they sit down and they talk with them. And they say, hey, here's how you can love your spouse more effectively. Here's some biblical principles that I've learned over the years that you can share with your boss that maybe your boss would recognize you're really under a lot of stress. There's a beautiful blessing in being able to sit down with somebody to encourage them by using biblical truths to help them understand what God is calling them to do next. We're gonna keep on rolling, going back to Romans 12, verse eight. If your gift is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. And if it is leadership, let him govern diligently. Really appreciate the definition of spiritual leadership by Bruce Bugby. He says this, the divine enablement to cast vision, to motivate and direct people to harmoniously accomplish the purposes of God. Much like the gift of teacher, we run into this once again. What's the difference between the spiritual gift of leadership and the natural ability to lead? Jesus himself actually speaks about this. He says in Mark chapter 10, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great 
must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, you might argue that over uh, the history of political leadership, it's filled with a lot of corrupt, self-serving people who promote themselves to places of leadership so that they can get what they want. But, you know, maybe it's changed over the last 50 or so years. Maybe it has, maybe it hasn't. A couple of years ago, I read a book that I was quite fascinated by, and it was talked about the big four. How do Amazon, Facebook, Google, and who am I forgetting, Apple, uh, run their businesses? And it was really interesting. Certainly, you can always find somebody in in organizations that have tens of thousands of employees that there's going to be some disgruntled workers. But for the most part, these people love being there, love being present, love hearing what's taking place and being a part of changing. And so you come to that idea again, well, what's the difference between the spiritual gift of leadership and the ability to lead one of these massive companies? I think Bruce Bugby gives it to us in that definition. It's to accomplish the purposes of God. Now, whatever you think of Jeff Bezos at Amazon, whatever you think of Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook, whatever you think of Google or or Apple, are they accomplishing the purposes of God or are they accomplishing the purposes of man? Shifting gears to what's taking place in the Bible, Moses is given this divine mission to go into Egypt and take the Israelites and uh, rescue them from captivity. Once they arrive at the doorstep of the promised land, the baton is handed to Joshua. And so Joshua takes the nation of Israel, they go into Canaan, and they settle down there. David, Israel's greatest king, comes in, and he brings the rule and authority of God to a unified nation of Israel. It's accomplishing God's purposes. What's this look like in the local church? For those of you who are newer than a year, I've only been the lead pastor here for a year. My predecessor, his name was Mel. Think about the gift of leadership that Mel and the board have shown over the last two years. We were a church pre-Cove that averaged almost exactly 1,000 people a week. Within two days, we went immediately to 100% digital ministry. And so Pastor Mel called a handful of us into his office and said, what will it take to get our service up on uh, YouTube tomorrow? And our staff worked hard and we made that happen. And we were navigating through COVID and we feel like we've come out incredibly strong. And even in the midst of COVID, Pastor Mel and the board were working through this whole succession plan. This idea of what's it look like for Mel to head off into retirement and is Dave the right guy and what is that going to look like and, and how are we going to share with the church family? And there was Zoom town hall meetings and there were phone calls that took place and there were interviews that happened and there were things in person and things online and the board worked exceptionally hard alongside Pastor Mel to make this a smooth and successful transition. And I think for the glory of God, we have come out the other side and the mission of God is being accomplished in our midst. And we can be thankful for Mel and the board that has worked so hard to see this happen. A leader is bringing the vision, the rule, the authority of God to a specific area of life to accomplish the purposes of God. A leader might work closely with an apostle to see that church plant get off the ground, to see that brand new ministry start. A leader might bring her gift of leadership to the marketplace in how she runs her business. Because bringing the purposes of God doesn't mean it has to be purely 100% spiritual things. It could be having a tremendous pet store. 
It could be having a wonderful area that teachers can um, lead in their students in at, at school. It could be all sorts of area where the gift of leadership is used powerfully as long as the mission of God is being propelled forward. As the old line goes, if you fancy yourself a leader and no one is following, you're just alone on a walk. Three main passages about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians chapter 4. It was he, God, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. Some of our translations use the word shepherd while others use the word pastor. I appreciate here what Peter Wagner's definition is, personal responsibility for the spiritual welfare of a group of believers. And I love this image. And again, some of you, if you have an NIV, it's gonna say pastor. I believe the ESV says shepherd. Translations will take either word. This image of pastor as shepherd is a beautiful picture. When we think of a shepherd, we think of someone protecting, of guiding, of uh, being involved in the life of his sheep. And that's the picture God wants us to have. A pastor is somebody who deeply cares for the well-being of the people he's leading. While other shepherds are certainly mentioned in scripture, I think for most of us, certainly myself, when you think shepherd in the uh, Bible, you think Jesus. Jesus, speaking of himself, says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the one who protects us from death. Jesus is the good shepherd who leads us and guides us with his teaching. Jesus is the one who heals our wounds. Jesus is the good shepherd deeply involved in the life and the ministry of, our, of his people. Later on, we get to Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, and he takes this imagery of shepherd a little bit further. And he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. As a church, I think we're blessed to witness one of the greatest examples of pastoring that I've personally seen. And he already knows I'm gonna embarrass him because I did it in first service. But Pastor Rick and his wife, Glenda, are incredible. And I'm gonna spend a minute just gushing all over them. You go back to that definition we had up earlier, the personal responsibility for the spiritual welfare of a group of believers. I think Rick and Glenda just ooze the spiritual gift. One of the things I so appreciate them, yeah, we got teaching, but just because we're Baptist doesn't mean we can't say amen. And Pastor Rick and Glenda, when you're speaking to them, one of the things I so appreciate about them is they make you feel like you're the most important person in the room. You get all their attention, all their focus while that conversation is taking place. If you've had them in your home, maybe you've had coffee with them, maybe you've just hung out with them in the, um, in the foyer, the conversation is obvious that they care about you and want you to become more like Jesus. Pastor Russ, um, who prayed for us earlier today, I've been talking to his son about baptism, and, and I said, Seth, hey, um, let, let's talk about this. It's totally open. Who would you like to baptize you? And I think he shoved me out of his way, and I said, Pastor Rick is gonna baptize me, and it was a no-brainer. He's well-loved in our church family. But as important as pastors are and as important as Pastor Rick is to our church, there's many pastors in our church family if you're a small group leader, you probably have the spiritual gift of pastoring. 
You care about your people. You care about the eight or 10 or 12 or 15 people that God has given you. You care about their spiritual health. You want to see them grow more and more like Jesus. You want them to make wise decisions and to care deeply about the men and the women that God has placed in their path. I've been having regular interactions with one of our small group leaders, and he is passionate about the discipleship process, writing me long emails. He says, how do we teach people? How do we shape their character? How do we equip them to be the people God has called them to be? And as wonderful as a couple of pastors might be on staff that you personally like, the pastors on staff can't care for everybody in our church. We're too big. And if you have the spiritual gift of shepherding, we need you to care for your small group. We need you to care for the men or women that God places in front of you, to love them, to care for them, to impact them, and to help them grow. We need people to use your spiritual gifts to build up and equip the church here at Ellerslie. We wrap up with the gift of evangelism back to Ephesians chapter four. It was he, God, who gave some to be apostles some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists. Now you might read this and kind of get let out that collective sigh as, oh, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I am off the hook. No, you aren't. That's not how it works. For those of you who don't have a spiritual gift of evangelism or a spiritual gift of mercy or a spiritual gift of giving or hospitality, in the absence of certain spiritual gifts, we need to practice spiritual discipline. In the absence of certain spiritual gifts, we need to practice spiritual discipline. Earlier on in this message, I talked about the spiritual gift of encouragement, but all of us are called to encourage people. Next week, Pastor Joel will be talking about the love gifts, gifts of, of mercy, of compassion, of hospitality, and gifts of these sorts. You might not have that gift. It might not come so naturally to you that it's a joy to do it, but all of us are called to do it. All of us are called to serve the church and to serve our neighbors. All of us are called to have people into our homes and to practice hospitality. All of us are called to encourage, and all of us are called to evangelize. Now, if you're squirming a little bit and thinking, Dave, just get to the definition of evangelism. You're starting to make me uncomfortable. Bad news for you. If you have the gift of encouragement, you're thrilled with how much I'm encouraging the rest of the church family. But here's the gift. The special ability to communicate the gospel message in relevant ways to unbelievers. Now, for some of you, the spiritual gift, or pardon me, the discipline of evangelism is terrifying. And you think to yourself, I, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to tell people about Jesus. I don't know how to invite people to embrace who Jesus is. I don't even know how to tell my kids about Jesus. It's too difficult. But notice how in Ephesians chapter four, it says the pastors, teachers, prophets, apostles, and evangelists are there to build up the church. If you don't know how to talk to your kids about Jesus, talk to Pastor Kelsey. Talk to Conrad and Abby. They will help you. If you don't know how to talk to your friends about Jesus, start praying now. We don't want to talk about Alpha just in the last couple weeks of August and early September and the, the last couple weeks of December and early January and right around Easter. We want to talk about what it means to be a people who evangelize and creating an invitational culture all the time. And right now as the weather gets warmer and you're thinking of having people over, or having barbecues on your back deck and getting to know your neighbors once again after hibernating for the last six months, this is the time to do it. 
invite your friends to Alpha. Invite your coworkers to Alpha. Invite your neighbors to Alpha. And then the evangelists will take over. But friends, we do this together. The evangelists have that special spiritual gift from God to help people understand who Jesus is and what that looks like. But all of us work together. And as long as I'm your pastor, I don't know what exactly God has in store for us for the next five or 10 or 20 years or however long he chooses to keep me here. But what I do know is that as long as I'm here, we are going to talk about evangelism all the time. Because the world needs Jesus. And if we don't tell our coworkers, if we don't tell our classmates, if we don't tell our neighbors about Jesus, they are going to hell. And we have to take that seriously. There's two verses in the Bible that terrify me. One already we looked at, James 3 verse 1. Those who teach, be careful, you're going to be judged more strictly. The second one, it's found in Ezekiel and in the book of Acts. If you don't tell your neighbors, your friends, your family members about Jesus, their blood is on your head. If you do, their blood is on their own head. Do we recognize and do we understand how important the gift of evangelism is? Because we live in a huge community and it is rapidly expanding. They are building homes here in Heritage Valley like crazy. Are we telling people about Jesus? I don't know if every Easter is going to be a baptism service, but I sure hope it is. I hope that we have dozens and dozens of baptisms every year and that you who are sitting there can say, I have invited my friend to church. They met Jesus and now they're getting baptized. I have raised my kids up in the church. Thank God for Conrad and Abby. Now my daughter, my son is getting baptized. I'm going to invite my aunt to church because I believe Jesus is gonna transform her life and thank God she is getting baptized. And we have to be excited about the gift of evangelism. And if you're sitting there going, what about the gift itself? Don't worry, if you have it, this made you fired up. One final gift. There's one word gift that's given to every single person who calls himself a follower of Jesus. Jesus himself is the word of God. Jesus, the word of God, spoke this world into creation. Jesus, the living word, came to preach and proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus is the word who dwelled among us, lived a perfect life, died for our sin, rose from the grave, and is one day coming back. Jesus is the ultimate gift that gives us life and continues to sustain us. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up and to lead us in a closing song. And I know we don't do this a lot, but I think we need to start doing it more regularly. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, I want to be prayed for. I want to be prayed for that I would use my spiritual gifts. And maybe I don't have one of the word gifts. Maybe Joel will hit me up next week with love gifts. Maybe maybe Pastor Dave will talk about power gifts and that'll really resonate me. Maybe you have a word gift and it hasn't been used. And it's been sitting a little bit dormant. And you're thinking, I have it. I know I do. We would love to pray with you. Maybe you have a spiritual gift and it's been abused in the past. Maybe people have put it down. Maybe you feel like you're not able to use your gift in the way you would like to. We would love to pray for you. Bottom line, we want to pray for you. We have Glenda to my right for any of the women who would like to pray specifically with a woman. I'll be in the middle, although I think I have to give the benediction in a couple minutes. And Joel to my left. Let's pray. Let's stand together as Colton and the band lead us in a closing song.